If you've got your Bible with you this morning, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 11. Proverbs 11. Thank you, Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Thank you, Father, so much today that we can gather together in your name. We believe that you're at work in our lives, in our midst. You're at work in us to will and to do of your good pleasure. Thank you for your hand that's upon each and every one of us, that we are an extension of your hand. Lord, we reach out to touch a lost and dying world. Give us revelation, we ask today, understanding of truth, and not only makes us free, but then enables us to make others free. And Lord, we thank you for your help and your, your, your presence and anointing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, God is good. Praise God. We've been in a series for the last few weeks. This will be the fourth part in this series called One by One. And uh, as, as most of you know, it's, it's been um, about the heart of God and His desire to see lost people saved. It's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to a knowledge of the truth. And uh, I, I believe that the Lord is working in our hearts and our minds here at Life Church so that we no longer live life as usual going on with our day as long as our families are good you know I'm healthy I've got enough money to make it through I've got this and this uh, then life is good everything's fine I got a mansion in the sky and everything's great everything's not great we must live with the continual joy of our salvation and live happy and free but at the, the exact same time live with an awareness and a knowledge of the condition of lost people around us all right what i've received from the lord i am instructed to freely give to others okay and the primary thing that i'm talking about is the knowledge of what god has done for every human being and how he has delivered them from sin from eternal separation from himself and he has given to all a glorious opportunity to live in the quality of life that he has and we are all called to win one amen and this happens like we said one by one i want to start tonight or this morning whenever it is in proverbs 11 and verse 30 Proverbs 11 and verse 30 says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he who wins souls is wise. Notice that last phrase there we want to zero in on. He who wins souls is wise. Let me say that some other ways. The person who is able to win another soul must have wisdom. Or I could say it this way, it takes wisdom to win the soul of another person. Everybody with me? It's not just saying, man, if you're smart, you'd get people saved. That's not what that means. But it takes wisdom to win over the soul of another person. And in all of our desire to fulfill the great commission to make disciples of all nations, what we ought to be seeking in the midst of this going forward is the wisdom of God so that I know how to unlock 
the mind of somebody else. You see, a soul is a person's mind, will, and emotions. And whenever I'm endeavoring to get another person into the kingdom of God to be made a disciple, I am dealing with their thinking. I must overcome any obstacle that they have in their mind, some preconceived idea of who God is, of what Christianity is, of what it means to be saved, of what what about eternity. I've got to deal with all this clutter that's already there. Some people have a ton of it. And some, you know, they're ready to go. But I've got to deal with a person's mind in order for them to receive the gospel. I'm endeavoring to do that right now as I teach you how to do this. I'm dealing with your thinking. Right? Because there's a lot of stuff in here. (laughs) There's a lot of different thoughts. There's a lot of background. There's a lot of, uh, you know, glasses that we're looking through. Through our experience. And we always have to endeavor to shoot through this so the pure Word of God can penetrate and change us. And when I'm winning a soul, I must realize that not everyone is the same. I cannot look at all people in my family, at work, in my neighborhood, and just use this one simple approach and think, they're all going to get saved if I will memorize these three principles. If I can just memorize these four scriptures, I know, man, everyone's going to respond in the positive to my sharing of, of, of faith and of Jesus. Not true. Not true. And listen, I'm not opposed to any person memorizing scripture. I think it'd be great. Not opposed to people memorizing a, a method of presentation. I'm going to share these laws with you. I'm going to share the Romans road with you. I'm going to uh, present the gospel to another person in this format. If you can memorize all that, have at it. I mean, the more you know, I think the better equipped you are. However, we must understand that not everyone responds identically to the same message. There are different buttons. There's different keys. Think of it like we got a keychain. And different keys open different doors. Different keys open the, the, the thinking of various people. Everybody with me now? Okay. Now, now let, me, let me back up to, and say this while I'm at it. Our purpose here, we're having, we're having class this morning. All right. This is training. This is instruction time to this end. Not to make all of us feel good. All right. And we don't mind you feeling good. Help you out as much as that is possible. But our primary purpose is to give us the wisdom to win another. That's one of the reasons we have church, you know, by the way. We come to get equipped to do something. And if in our mind, if you're, if you're in a situation right now where you thought, my life is falling apart, I got problems, I got this and this and this, and that's why I'm going to church. You're not wrong for thinking that way at all, because we're going to help you. But I want you to zero in and focus with me right now. Set all of, your, all of your stuff aside. All the very issues, all the problems, all the things that you can't stop thinking about. Set them aside. Let's get busy about our Father's business right up here. What does He want me to do? And watch Him go to work on your situation and your stuff while you focus on what He says is, is eternally important. Okay? Now, and, and, and so we're endeavoring to wise up. To get some wisdom. To recognize the various differences and the obstacles that keep people from 
coming to the Lord. Now think about it. Let me just give you a couple examples. There are some that if you were to if you were to use the word sin or sinner, they don't think that applies to them because they have this connotation in their mind that they're okay. I'm good. I'm a good person. I never kill anybody. I mean, what? You know, you talk to some person, some people about being saved, and they'll think, saved. What do I need saved from? I don't need saved. Am I drowning? You know? <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> but I don't need saved. Why? Because in their mind. There's nothing wrong with them. There's not, there's not such a thing even as sin. There's not something that needs to change. They're fine. Just accept me, right? How many understand that kind of person, I'm not going to talk to them about Jesus yet because they don't see any need for a Savior. If they don't recognize sin, you don't need forgiven. don't need a solution. So, so the way I would pr- approach that person would be different than others. So, so how, what are we going to say to that person? I'm going to tell them what a miserable wretch they are. <laughs> In a matter of speaking. You know what I'm saying? I need to help them understand God's standard of righteousness and holiness and how they are far beneath it with all people. Not to the point where I'm just going just gonna to kick them and knock them down and condemn them. No, but people must see. If they've been brainwashed by our modern culture that says everybody's great, everybody's fine, everybody's good, then I need to help them to understand that they're not. They're not good. They're not holy. There's something missing. There's something lacking. How many understand the biggest part of your Bible is called the Old Testament? The biggest part of the Old Testament is, is, is about this. You're a loser. It really is. Mm. Right? Isn't that how they say that these days? Or used to? I'm probably behind a little bit. <laughs> but the biggest part of it is to tell people, let people understand how they have sinned and they come short of God's glory kill another cow, have another sacrifice, so you're reminded you are a sinner, man. And you come into the New Testament, and that's when we get help. But you have to have a problem before you'll seek an answer, seek help. Okay? So that person, I'm not going to talk to you about Jesus right away. I need to show them that. But how many know there are others, they already feel like a dirty dog. They know they've sinned. They know they're not right. I've talked to people and asked them if they would, what's going to happen when they die? And they say, I'll probably go to hell. Now, I don't need to talk to them about their sin. Huh? They know they're a sinner. They know they've got issues. They know they've got problems. My message to them is different. I'm going to talk to them about love and mercy and grace and compassion and how God's not angry with them, but He put their sin on Jesus and they can be forgiven and made clean. That's the only thing. They don't need to hear about, uh, about breaking God's standards, right? And so various people in various situations, they need a different response. Some people will respond to a 30-second salvation message. I've talked to many of them. It's amazing. That was the easiest thing in the world. I talked to him. Hi, how you doing? Good. Do you want to be saved? You know, I mean, I'm simplifying a little bit, but just in a matter of a very short time, I'm praying with them. They're getting born again. And you think, that was so easy. How many understand there's a lot of people like that? We must not think because you know two or three people that are antagonistic against the gospel, they don't want anything to do with God, that everybody is that way. There are a lot of people 
that are right there waiting for someone to show them how. And they'll be saved. Whereas I've, uh, I've talked to others and you reason with them and you talk to them and they're not receptive. And uh, you reason with them and you talk to them some more and, and they're not receiving. There are different situations in the, in the minds of various people. Let me give you a couple Bible examples here. I don't want you to turn to these, but just, just listen for now. In Acts chapter 8, Philip went to a place called Samaria and he preached Christ to them. And the Bible says that they hearing and seeing the miracles which were done, they got saved. Basically, the whole place got saved. Multitudes of people got saved through preaching and seeing and hearing miracles. Does that happen today? Is that the key to unlock some? Absolutely. Absolutely. They got saved in a mighty demonstration of God's power. There, were other, there was another guy shortly after that. Uh, he was the eunuch of Ethiopia. He was sitting in his car. It was his chariot. You know. How many brought your chariot today? He was sitting in his chariot reading the Bible, reading the Old Testament Scripture. I mean, how ready is that guy? He's, he's there reading the Scripture, and the Spirit of God le- talks to Philip about going over and talking to him, and he just sits up there with him, and he says, and, you know, the Ethiopian guy says, I don't know what this means. Can you explain this? He said, yeah, I sure can. And right there, he explained the Scriptures. He got saved, and he got baptized in water right there. And uh, how many know that guy was ready? Are there people like that today? Oh, absolutely. There are people that uh, they're calling out on the Lord right now. They don't know how, really. They don't know what. Sometimes people will find a Bible. They don't know, and they don't know Genesis from Revelation. They just think this is the Bible. It's a book, so I'll start at the beginning. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? But they don't know where to go. Some people do close their eyes and put their finger in and, and, and find out what God said. They, what do they need? They need you. They need me. They need someone to come up and go, hey, let's go over here to John 3.16. Let's read about God's love for you. Or let's go to Romans 10 and, and just real quickly show them how they can be saved and have a relationship with God. They are that ready. Different people, different positions in life. And, uh, and that's true. Here's an, another example was in Acts 10 when uh, it was the Gentiles. In this situation, Peter met with these folks, and as he was speaking to them, the Holy Spirit fell on them. That's a different method of salvation. I mean, he's just sharing with the gospel, all of a sudden the Spirit of God, wham! And then those guys got saved, they got filled with the Spirit and spoke in tongues. They had a powerful experience. Amen. I like those kinds speaking and whammo the power of God comes on uh, just, just just falls on people different methods different ways depending on the various circumstances that people are in look with me at Luke chapter 14 Luke chapter 14 we're endeavoring to be wise to be led by the spirit in each instance so that we can be most effective with all people. Look at what Jesus said in the middle of this uh, particular parable here, verse 23. Then the master said to the servant, Go out into the highways and hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. Look at what's happening here. He said, Compel them to come in. What, what, what does that mean? 
don't just give them an invitation. Don't just say, hey, it'd really be nice if you'd come. Sure, sure, enjoy having it. He said, I want you to compel them to come. Urge them to come. I've found that there are a lot of people, it's like in their mind, in their life, they are right on the, on the tipping point. They are right on the edge. They are so close to giving their lives fully to the Lord. All they need someone to do is not just talk to them, but push them. Are you listening? They need a little, I'm not talking about high pressure. I'm talking about just give them a little push. There are many that are waiting. I've recognized at times in my life in the past where I've missed it in that area where I was talking with someone and I didn't want to be too pushy. And we don't want to be pushy in that, in that sense. But I felt like I didn't want to force it on them. So I, was, I went too far the other way. And I just shared and just kind of left it. When I realized later, if I would have just went, hmm, they would have they come right into the kingdom. If I would have just urged them, come on, have some conviction in your voice. Sometimes if people are saying, well, I don't know. Listen, you've got to receive the Lord. I mean, this is so good. He loves you so much. This is forever. You need to get saved. You need to receive, receive the Lord Jesus. I'm telling you, it's the most powerful thing. You know what I'm talking about? It's more than just, there are some times when that's maybe not the best approach. But we're learning, we're having wisdom to know when someone's on the tipping point, I can just go, uh, and just tip them right in. And then they say, I'm so glad you pushed. I'm so glad you stayed with me a little bit. I'm not talking about high pressure situations. I'm talking about many people come back and say, I'm glad you didn't leave me alone. I'm, I'm glad you didn't just leave me alone there. Amen. Pastor Allen will tell you about how I did with him. When he was a teenager, he was, he was saved. But I pushed him. And he was glad because I wouldn't leave him alone. And now look, he's winning people to the Lord in the other side of the world right now. Amen. Sometimes that little push is necessary. So we need to compel them and they'll respond to that. Look with me at Jude, the book of Jude. It's right before Revelation. Revelation's right before the leather part. Or hardback or whatever you're looking at. The book of Jude, verse 22. Jude 22. It says, and on some have compassion. Why does it say some? Some means not all. Not everybody. On some have compassion, making a distinction. But what? Others, but others, save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Some have compassion, others save with what? Fear. Is, is it ever right? Is it ever appropriate for us to tell people about the consequences of their rejection? It is. Is it ever? Would it ever be right to use fear? Man, you're scaring me. Good. I'm telling you that although this is not our first step, and it's not our 
primary message. It's the goodness of God that leads all men to re- leads men to repentance. We start with grace and mercy and love. All the, it, though that's not our first message, it is part of the package. It is one of the keys that will help with people. What? I'm going to talk to you about eternity without God. Fear, fire, heat. It's getting hot. You know what I'm talking about. That is part of it. I think we do people disservice if we never mention the consequences of, a, of their rejection of the Lord. It's true whether they, whether they believe it or not. Right? Amen. And sometimes, you know, again, we think naturally. Someone's driving down the road. The bridge is out. And we see a car coming. The bridge is out, and you know it. If they go off, they're going to die. Do we stand back and say, well, you know, I don't want them to be upset with me. They might think I'm a religious fanatic. They, They might just think I'm crazy. No, we're not thinking about that. We're out in the middle of the road. Hey, stop. Got to stop them. They're about to die. I'm going to do whatever I can, scream and holler and kick dirt and do whatever I can to stop them from going off the road. But yet we do that passively sit by as people head off into eternity well I don't know what to say wave your arms then (laughs) huh I don't know how I don't know how to do it just say hell (laughs) (laughs) we've got to warn people and again I'm not starting there I'm starting with the goodness of God but I know part of that goodness is you don't have to go down there you don't have to go off the road. And it's a good motivator with some. I know, I know I'm thinking of one particular person. Uh, he's been saved for a long, long time now when walking with the Lord. But out of his own mouth, he said, the reason I got saved is because I didn't want to go to hell. He knew about hell. He said, I don't want to go there. So he gave his life to the Lord. And it was legitimate. He's serving the Lord out of a willing heart now and everything. But his motivation, probably a lot of us could probably say the same thing. It wasn't that we just loved God so much. We didn't know God. But we thought heaven, hell, Jesus made the difference. Y'all accept him. That makes sense. Hmm? There was a, a book I have and, and heard this story years ago. And, and there was a doctor who was a he is a cardiologist, a Dr. Rawlings, and uh, later he wrote this book, and the book was a lot about debunking a lot of the near-death experiences that people he- hear about, and they have TV programs, and everyone's going down the tunnel through the light and, and, and seeing a light, and it, it kind of leaves people with the impression that oh, when people die, everyone goes to heaven, and and and. And he wrote this book explaining and debunking a lot of the methodology and and, and how that stuff gets reported, how it's not true. And uh, anyway, how that started was very interesting. He, as a doctor, a cardiologist, heathen, by the way, wasn't saved, didn't know the Lord, was dealing with uh, one particular patient, a guy named uh, Charlie McCaig. And Charlie had a heart attack, and and Charlie was in there, and and this doctor believed that there was another heart attack coming. And so they were, they had him all hooked up and they were working him out to try to, I guess, produce that heart attack right there under their care. And they were getting his heartbeat up and everything. And, and he said his heart stopped. And after a few seconds, he said he actually still kept talking for a few seconds after his heart stopped. And uh, he said that happens sometimes. But then 
then his eyes rolled back up into his head and he fell and uh, and his heart was down and they had him right there so they'd get him going again and he said I had to put a temporary pacemaker in there to keep his heart going and he's working he said blood was squirting everywhere and he's doing all this stuff at one time and and pushing on him to get it going and he went and he was going in and out but he said what was what happened and what changed his life and many others is Charlie would die and come back in a panic he came back freaked out screaming he said don't stop he's talking to the doctor don't stop every time you stop I'm in hell and he'd come back and then he'd die and he'd come back don't stop every time you quit talking about keeping his heart going and he's seeing this guy just uh, at first he thought well he's having he's just delusional he's just all this kind of stuff and 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 uh, and he came back in a panic, and he's telling the doctor, "Pray, man, pray. Every time you stop, I go. I'm back in hell. Pray." And he's the doctor again is thinking, "I'm a doctor. I'm not a preacher or something like that." And and I think he even said something to that effect. The nurses were giving him, you know, hard looks, <laughs> you know, like, "Pray, man." <laughs> and uh, so he said, "I made up a prayer." He said, I had a make-believe prayer. And I started, I started telling Charlie, say this after me. Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Say it. He made Charlie say it. And he, he, he went on and said, and if I live, my life belongs to you. He's making up this prayer. But he said, in the middle of that, I watched a genuine conversion happen. He said, just like that, Charlie went from just scared just freaking out uh, person to perfect peace. All of a sudden he was calm. All of a sudden he was at peace in his life. And he ended up living. And the doctor said, but that prayer got on me too. It convicted him when he was saying it. And he knew. He said, I went home. I found this old Bible, dusted it off, and started looking for the truth. And... uh, and then he became a Christian and later wrote this book and studied all these, these experiences and this kind of thing. That kind of experience or even that kind of story will wake some people up. They're just busy going through life, acting like everything's okay. Listen, you're not guaranteed tomorrow. And sometimes that message, I'm not saying always or even first, sometimes that kind of message is the right thing to share with someone. Especially if you know that they see it. You've prayed like we talked about two weeks ago. You've prayed. Their eyes are open. They have things. Things are coming to pass in their life. Uh, you know that they recognize and see the truth. But they're resisting of it. I got to tell you something man. What, what's that? Saved by fear. It's time for you to know the reality. Of what awaits you. And. Sorry, man, I love you. You're not guaranteed tomorrow that you're not going to be there. And what we'll do, sometimes it'll wake someone up. Sometimes it'll rattle someone's cage a little bit. Until they'll respond to the Lord. Look with me at Acts chapter 17. What are we talking about here? We are talking about wisdom in winning over a soul. 
wisdom into getting into someone's mind to help unlock from bondage. What are those things? Well, again, some people urge them, compel them. Some people save with fear. Others are ripe and ready just to respond to a simple gospel message. Others, well, they could be like some of these people that Paul dealt with. Acts 17, verse 2, Then Paul, as his custom was, went into them, and for three Sabbaths reasoned with them from the Scriptures, explaining and demonstrating that Christ had to suffer and rise again from the dead, and saying, This Jesus whom I preach to you is the Christ. Notice what he did and how long it took. He stayed with them three weeks. I would think if anyone knew how to persuade someone else or show someone truth, that would be Paul. He had revelation. He had understanding. I mean, he was the man. And yet he would talk to people and he would try to persuade them and convince them and they wouldn't respond. They wouldn't get saved. So what would he do? See you next week. He'd go back to him again. And he'd go back to him again. What would he do? The Scripture said that he would, uh, he would reason with them from the Scriptures. This is a, an approach that we need to be ready and willing to use with some people. You're going to share a simple gospel message. You're hoping they'll say, yes, amen, I want to get saved. What must I do? But if they don't, I'm going to work with their mind. I'm reasoning with them, not just in my own strength, but he's dealing with people, and sometimes it takes a while. If they don't get saved right away, whatever. I've got patience. The devil doesn't. So I'm going to stay constant and stay with them and reason with them. Look at verse 17 here again. Therefore he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. So he'd go hang out and talk with people. He'd reason with them. He'd use logic. He'd use the scripture. He'd minister to them and help them to see what he saw. I find this interesting. The King James Bible there says that he disputed with them. The Amplified Bible says he argued with them. So I don't want to argue with them. You're not willing to do whatever it takes to win a person? I don't think arguing would be right. Paul did it. I had some of those, some of those people argue with... Uh, I was in a discussion one time with the guys on the bikes. And, uh, and we, they were saying some things. And I said, no, that's not what the Word says. The Bible says this. And, uh, and, and after a little bit of that, they said, well, that's, we don't... We don't think this would be right to, to argue. We know that that wouldn't be right. That was not what the Word of God would have us to do or something they said to that effect. And I, so what did I do? I said, I just told him, you don't know the Bible. I said, again, you've got an argument. I've got, I've got a word, the Word of God. I said, Paul did that with people. But what they didn't like is they were losing. And so they wanted to exit. And that's fine. My goal was not just to win an argument. I want them to be saved. I want them to be forgiven and, and have eternal life and experience the, man, the amazing joy that we have in Christ. But I'm willing, if someone says something wrong, I'm willing to say, no, that's not right. I'm willing to dispute with someone. Yeah. How long? As long as it takes. Now, in wisdom, I may recognize, okay, this is not getting anywhere right now. Let's 
take a different approach or come back and talk another time. I'm working with a person. I'm going to do whatever's necessary, not so I feel good about it, so they get saved. Okay, look at Acts 18, verse 4. And he reasoned in the synagogues every Sabbath and persuaded both Jews and Greeks. Do some people need to be persuaded? Yeah. Some people need to be persuaded. We're just going to have a conversation. We're going to talk and persuade them. Acts 19 and verse 8. And he went into the synagogue and spoke boldly for three months, reasoning and persuading concerning the things of the kingdom of God. This is an approach. Some people, I'm going to urge them. Some people, I'm going to just real quick get them saved. Others, I'm going to save with fear. Sometimes, I'm just going to have to reason with people. I'm going to have to work with their binds, and it might take a little time. Look, we'll go back to 17 again. Chapter 17, verse 22. I find this interesting. We'll finish up here today. 17:22. It says, Then Paul stood in the midst of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you are very religious. Now, that he, what, another translation says there, says that you are very religious and reverence, reverencing of demons. But notice how, what, he, what the language he said there. He said, I perceive that you are very religious. What do you mean you perceive? Sometimes we might quickly think, Oh, yeah, he had a word of wisdom there. He had a word of knowledge. He, he, he was seeing in the Spirit. He was perceiving things. That's how he knew that they were religious people. Right? No, but look, look at the next verse. He says, he says, For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, how did Paul know how to deal with these people? He went in and watched He watched them. He learned about them. See, it's not just a cookie-cutter approach to every situation. He saw what they were like, what their circumstances were, were. And he said, these guys are crazy, man. They got all these gods they worship. And he saw all these things that they, they worship. And he devised his approach, his strategy. And he found one. It says, I found an altar with the inscription, to the unknown God. He thought, I got them. (laughs) because <laughs> that's the one I know that's the God in whom I serve the unknown God and he used that see he didn't pull out a track and say okay what do I say next now don't take this as a negative to studying tracks or, or approaches like that load yourself up with whatever knowledge can help you to win that spouse that child that parent whatever that neighbor whatever you need we just want them to be in the kingdom whatever I need to do all right, but he recognized this, and I find it interesting. He, he adjusts his a total total approach. He said, "Therefore, the one whom you worship, without knowing him, him I proclaim to you, God, who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything. Since he gives." Li- to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. Now, I don't know if you ever read that and think, that's kind of weird. Do you talk that way? Tell you the truth, Paul doesn't talk that way. And yet this was his testimony of what happened there. 
Have you read Ephesians and Galatians and Philippians and Colossians and you kind of understand the way he talks and the way he speaks to people? This is not one of them. I, I grope for, you grope for him. Or I, you feel after God. I would talk to them and say, Paul, uh, we walk by faith and not by feelings. Why is he talking to them this way? It's because that's where they are. That is their thinking. That's their mentality. He's approaching them in a way that makes sense to them. So he's using this language. He went on to say, For in him we live and move and have our being. Now we quote that verse and say, and we sing songs about it and, and all this kind of stuff. And that's fine. It's the Word of God. It's inspired. But you know where Paul got it? He was quoting their heathen poets. He was using their own literature and their own stuff. He went on to say, uh, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also his offspring. He started using their stuff in, a, in, a, in, a, in an attempt to get them to understand the gospel. This is, this is amazing. Is it, necess- is it right at times for us to change the way we act or the way we say something? We don't change the truth. But change the way we say something so someone else will receive it. I think it's the wisdom of God. I think it's the wisdom of God that will end up in a person spending eternity with Him or a person being eternally separated from God. And in this, go back to the beginning again, he who wins souls is wise. I want to be a wise soul winner. I want to work with people's thinking and thoughts in such a way where I can present the gospel. And if it needs to be strong and in their face, good. If it needs to be soft and gentle, good. If I need to talk in a different way, fine, I'm willing to do whatever. Because the Father's heart is that everyone be saved. That everyone come to a knowledge of the truth. Amen. And the Lord is helping us, I really believe. He's helping us to step up our effectiveness. To step up to the challenge that lies before us in our day. His Spirit is in us and working in us for a reason. And that reason is not for me and you if you've already been saved. We've already got it. We're already in. Already safe. But now it's our job. Someone presented the gospel to you and me in such a way where we responded, yes, I receive, I believe, I, I want the Lord in my life. Now I'm going to do that for somebody else. And that's the first step in making a disciple of them. Amen. Father, thank you so much for every single person here. Thank you for the life of God. That's been manifest, that's been shed abroad in our hearts, that's been shown to us. I believe that you're at work in us now to equip and prepare and make ready for those divine appointments that we've prayed about, that we've sought, that we've set up, where lives will be changed forever. But Father, I thank you for the lives of those who are here today. For all those who have come who are not yet saved.